Hello and welcome to Beta Cells to Bicycles, the official podcast of the BC Diabetes Research Network. I'm Krista Lamb, and today I'm talking to Dr. Angela Devlin. Dr. Devlin is a scientist at the BC Children's Hospital and an associate professor in the Faculty of Medicine at the University of British Columbia. Welcome, Dr. Devlin. Oh, hi, Krista. Thank you. So I wanted to speak first about, you know, why you went into endocrinology and pediatrics. What was it that interested you about that field? Um, Well, I was actually trained in pediatric research, so I completed my PhD here in pediatric nutrition and infant nutrition. And I, I was interested in the field because I was interested in lipid biochemistry and lipid nutrition. And the diet of infants is 50% fat, so that's how I sort of got into the pediatric uh, realm of things. And then looking at how uh, metabolism develops during development from fetal life through to early um, after birth, and then where you get the difference, which is in diet, and how that affects how your metabolic processes function was an interest of mine, so that's how I got into that. And then when I came back here uh, as a faculty member, um, when you join the Department of Pediatrics, they like you to be involved in a division, so I chose endocrinology because I started getting interested in obesity and risk for type 2 diabetes in children with type 1 diabetes. Okay, and so if I'm somebody who is not familiar with you know, lipid metabolism and those sorts of things, how would this directly impact children? So can you explain just a little bit? Yeah, so what we're interested in is if we can sort of intervene early in life, and this actually goes through to mom's diet during pregnancy and even, even the father's diet during pregnancy. There's evidence now that that matters too at the time of conception, that if we mitigate those um, potential for adverse complications later in life that we can then refine our, refine our guidelines to tell people what to eat. So either the supplements women take during pregnancy, what components of their diet, or how we um, recommend diet for children. So that's really interesting actually, looking at, you know, are there things that we could be doing during pregnancy mm-hmm. that could be helpful for the child's um, diet? I'm assuming that there, it would affect their potentially their diabetes risk. Yeah, so that's where we're, what we look at. So I sort of have two streams of work. So we look at, we have um, animal models where we can model the, what's happening in the population in North America mostly about nutrient imbalances because we're sort of living in a culture of nutrient excess, but we actually have some nutrient imbalances. So a lot of micronutrient imbalances as well as some macronutrient imbalances. So we look at how those factors can then influence long-term health of the child and risk for diabetes and obesity. And then at the same time, we also then study children who already have diabetes and how their diet can improve their their outcome and mitigate com- secondary complications. I find that really interesting because type 1 diabetes is something that we don't usually think about what um, diet as having the implications that it does because it's not associated with lifestyle. But obviously if you're living with type 1 diabetes and you can do things that will help you to live a healthier life with type 1 diabetes, including nutrition, that seems like it would be something that would be really good to do. Mm-hmm. So can you tell me a little bit about your work in that area? Yeah, so it's sort of a newer work. So I started working in type 1 diabetes um, with Dr. Panagiotopoulos and we were interested in looking at cardiovascular complication in those children, so blood pressure elevations, and basically early indicators of how their vasculature function. And so we found that there's actually some higher rates of blood pressure abnormalities in the children. It was unrelated to how many years they've been diagnosed. And so now we're starting to work with the dietitians in the hospital 
or in the um, diabetes clinic at BC Children's Hospital to look at actually, because we actually don't really know what the kids are eating. We know what the policy is, what the clinical guidelines are, and how the dietitians actually counsel the family, but we actually don't know what the children are eating and how that relates to things like energy expenditure and their complications, so all the other metabolic parameters outside just monitoring their blood glucose levels. And is there a way to, to, is there a way to monitor that more closely? Like, I know that there's been dietary studies in the past where they're looking at, you know, giving people the, their meals every single day, which I don't know if children with diabetes would be yeah, so no, excited about that. But what, what do you find the best way to, to measure? Yeah, so the, I mean, there are a lot of caveats in looking at dietary assessment, obviously, especially in children. But I find um, children with type 1 diabetes and their families are, are very motivated and so what, we're, what we are planning to do is look at food records. So we get people to do a three-day food record. So usually it's, it's two days during the week and one weekend day. We do um, assessment then of macronutrient intakes. We can relate it to growth. Because the biggest concern as well is that we want to maintain the macronutrient distribution for the children to optimize their growth because they're growing. So it's different than adults, say with type 2 diabetes, where you can do really uh, strict modifications of the diet or limit certain nutrients. There's less potential for adverse impact. Whereas in a child, you really have to be concerned about growth and development. And do you work with other um, researchers and clinicians who are looking at exercise as well as how it relates to diet? And I only ask because the first thing that I think about when I'm thinking about what I'm eating and what I'm consuming is, you know, how much energy am I expending? Yeah, that's a really good um, question. We, we haven't looked at physical activity in the kids with type 1 diabetes, but we've done it in other children that are at risk for diabetes. So children with mental illness, some of the medications that they take places them at risk for diabetes, type 2 diabetes and weight gain. So we've looked at those children and we just did, um, we did not do any intervention trials with accelerometry or anything like this. So it was pretty just a surface overview of what their physical activity levels were like. And we had them fill out questionnaires and we found that children that did meet physical activity guidelines set by um, the Canadian government, those that did meet those guidelines actually um, had better metabolic profiles and uh, it reduced their insulin level of insulin resistance. So we've tried to implement that as part of the um, clinical care here, that they get sort of recommended to exercise. And when I say exercise, I mean just going outside and going for a walk. It doesn't mean marathon running. Yeah, I mean, it's very different, I think, when you're an eight-year-old, um, right. what your your form of exercise is. But it's really amazing if there is a way that, you know, that can be incorporated mm -hmm. into anyone's life. So Absolutely. Great yeah, way. they go hand in hand. Now we have new equipment at the Research Institute through the Diabetes Network and the CFI we received. So we can actually assess um, energy expenditure in children. Which I think would be really, really helpful. And mm -hmm. you mentioned something earlier that I wanted to go back to just because I thought it was really interesting about working with, uh, I'm assuming, children and youth with, me with mental health issues and their risk for developing type 2 diabetes because of the medications. And that's something that I don't think a lot of people are aware of. So that's a really kind of interesting thing to be working on. And, mm -hmm. and what inspired that? Um, I was working with Dr. Panagiotopoulos, and her group was the first in Canada to report on this phenomenon. Um, because she noticed it clinically together with the, the psychiatrist that 
children are having rapid weight gain and developing insulin resistance. And so she established the first clinic of its kind, I think, in, in the world to assess children that are on these antipsychotic medications and to make sure they do get screened for metabolic complications. So I started working with her and uh, we've published quite a bit on this, on physical the role of physical activity. We've also looked at their diet. It was assumed that those drugs cause people to increase the children's appetite, but we actually don't know that that's actually true. We did a small study and we didn't find that big of an increase in dietary energy intake, so now we think maybe the drugs affect resting energy expenditure. Which I think would be really interesting, especially if you're someone who's managing a mental illness, that's a really complicated yes. thing on its yes. own, and so then to add in another layer that's affecting you know, your self-esteem and your health and your mm -hmm. overall risk of developing type 2 diabetes, I think it's really important that people understand that and that you're working on something that might be able to mitigate some of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so that's what we're trying to do. So if we can tease out the mechanisms, then we can optimize treatment. Yeah, which, which is fantastic. And so I know you also do a lot of work with um, diabetes and cardiovascular health. And mm -hmm. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about that because I think they go hand in hand. And a lot mm -hmm. of times people don't assume that they go hand in hand when you go outside of the diabetes research and in a healthcare field. Mm -hmm. And so what interested you in, in working on those Areas. Um, well, my training is actually in nutrition and vascular biology, so I've always been interested in vascular biology and sort of what early determinants during development can influence risk for cardiovascular disease later in life. And so diabetes is obviously one. Um, individuals with type 1 diabetes obviously have uh, the number one cause of death is actually cardiovascular disease. And, you know, findings from the DCCC trial and things like that show that early interventions matter and improve outcomes later in life. So we've been really interested in that. I think that studies from the United States, like the Search Diabetes and Youth Trial and stuff like that, have really highlighted that cardiovascular complications are present in children with type 1 diabetes. Originally, people, I think, assumed that they didn't develop till later on, you know, after you've had the disease for 20 years. But now we're quite confident that there's evidence that the damage is happening early. And so we've got ongoing studies to look at that as well. Which, I mean, would be a really interesting thing to, to be monitoring because when we look at sort of the, you know, I'm thinking like the longevity trial that was looking at type 1 diabetes over the lifespan of people that have had it for more than 50 years mm -hmm. and why some of those people have um, not had complications and others have. Right. So being able to start looking at people from, you know, the time of childhood to start to see if they're at risk would be really helpful, I right. think. Yeah, and so that's what we're, we're doing. Again, I do that with Dr. Panagiotopoulos. We... Um, are, are looking at children and how the complications develop and then we, our goal is to identify ways because potentially some people like you said might be more susceptible than not for underlying other reasons or lifestyle reasons so we're trying to identify those factors so that we can modify treatment plans. And I find it really interesting looking at your work, and I wonder what are some of the things that you have kind of come across that have been some of the misconceptions, because I find that the, especially with diabetes in childhood, there's mm -hmm. so many things that people don't understand. And so with your work being in nutrition and health and these sorts of of areas, I wondered if you've got anything that, that comes to mind. Well, I think there's a lot of misinformation on diet. I think you don't have to look very far to get that. And unfortunately, I think there's a lot of promotion of strict, weird diets with not a lot of scientific evidence to support them. So I think the biggest problem for families is actually where to get right nutrition information. And so that's the other thing that we want to do is to be able to provide families with 
evidence-based nutrition facts in, in uh, places for them to get the best information. Because if you go on the internet, I mean, there's a lot of bad nutrition and it looks like it's legitimate, it, but it's actually not. Yeah, and I think that's something that a lot of people don't know, and especially when you're managing so many other things, yeah. because living with type 1 diabetes or having a child that lives with type 1 diabetes, you have a lot of things to think yes. about. It is a 24-7 disease. It's something that you don't get any breaks from, and you know, when you're a 10-year-old that just wants to go to the birthday party and have cake and, and, and do all those sorts of things, it's really challenging to think about all of the things that you have to think about and right. to manage that. So having something where there's a resource for families where they can actually get information that's accurate seems very, very wise. Mm -hmm. Yes. So that's our goal and working with the dietitians. The dietitians at Children's are excellent and a lot of my grad students are dietitians doing their PhDs and master's degrees. So yeah, we're really into the education aspect as well. And I think that's really great because people often don't realize that a registered dietitian can provide you with so much information mm -hmm. to help you mm -hmm. and that they're trained to do this type of work to make mm -hmm. sure that you're getting that information that you need that is accurate. Right. And then there's uh, the Dietitians Can of Canada has a great, great resources as well as there's a dial a dietitian where you can call and ask nutrition questions and actually speak to a registered dietitian and it's free. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that that exists. And I mean, that's a really great resource, too, mm -hmm. so something that people can, can take away from that. And so one of the other things that I wanted to talk to you a little bit about is that you are part of the BC Diabetes Research Network, which is you know a relatively new organization, and it's something that really looks at cross-collaboration. And so thinking about you know dietitians and other healthcare providers and, and having this ability to work with basic scientists and clinician scientists and so many other people, how have you found that helpful in your work? Oh, it's been excellent um, because I wasn't trained in diabetes. I was trained more in nutrition and cardiovascular disease. So working on where I work now in the Research Institute and my appointment is in a clinical department, working in with endocrinologists that treat the children with diabetes and then with the islet cell biologists here has really enabled me to expand my work and ask different questions and combine it with the vascular biology, like you said. it's. It's been very powerful, and I think the, the network, as well as um, meeting people from different places, because UBC is such a really large school, and so we're here at Children's Hospital. We don't necessarily interact with people even on main campus or at the other uh, faculty of medicine sites or the Okanagan or the North, and I think the network's really been enabling in that regard. Yeah, and I think it's really interesting that you mentioned that you didn't train in diabetes, and mm -hmm. a lot of times the things that are related to diabetes aren't things that you would automatically assume were a diabetes-related thing. We talked about cardiovascular, nutrition, all of these things, but it's sort of a layered approach, which I think is right. really interesting. And so have you found that sort of uh, ability to kind of crossover has been helpful in your career? Yeah, I think so, because I think also um, I always say, you know, when you work with other people, it's better to have several minds working on a project than just one, and everyone has a different point of view depending on uh, what, how you were trained and what you were trained in. So the way nutritional scientists design experiments is different than, say, someone who studies islet cell biology, but if you go together, you can really have impactful research. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I'm most excited about now because I see that there is a lot happening in terms of, you know, making the patient more of a priority, but also getting every level of research together. So we're 
we're all having these discussions and it's not something that, you know, everybody's working in isolation. And so, you know, the patient is at the center and mm-hmm. they're very much a part of things. And then you also have this. So are you doing a lot of um, patient centered or patient focused research? Yeah, I do. I do probably um, 40% with that. So with um, the endocrinology clinic and Dr. Panagia Topless. I work with her on the patient-oriented research, and then um, we also do work in um, with animal models, so basic science work related, asking nutrition questions related to uh, risks for diabetes and then cardiovascular health, and then we do a little bit of work in nutrition and just healthy children as well. It's amazing to see it all coming together and, and how it's all coming together. And so thank you so much for talking to us no, today on the you. show. I really appreciate it. I've learned a lot. So you've been listening to Beta Cells to Bicycles, a podcast from the BC Diabetes Research Network. If you'd like more information on the network, you can visit diabetesbc.ca. And if you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to subscribe so you can learn about even more of the research that's taking place here in British Columbia. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.